Miracy. I'm Abe Crystal, and you're listening to Making It. I run a business called Rizuku, and we make it easy for passionate experts to create their own online courses and learning communities. Okay, so what does making it mean to me? Like, it's a concept that I kind of resist in some ways, I think. But unpacking it a bit, I guess, what making it means to me is it's being able to work on things that are meaningful, you know, in a way that is satisfying. So it's more about the the process um, than the outcome. You know, even though I definitely wanted certain outcomes, when I started, they kind of become less meaningful over time. And like, this is something that I've heard, for example, athletes talk about that they work so hard, you know, to win a championship or to break a record, you know, to achieve whatever success is in their particular athletic field. They work so, so hard to do that. And they, you know, in some cases, they're fortunate enough to accomplish it. And then um, it just feel, they kind of feel like, wow, you know, I thought it would be the most amazing thing in the world to win this championship or to achieve this record. and it's kind of not, right? Like the pursuit was engrossing, but actually having achieved it is, it just feels kind of flat. The journey to, to making it is more important than actually making it. It's, it. The feeling of, you know, solving interesting challenges and that feeling of progress, right? That like yesterday I was on step one, but tomorrow I'm going to be on step two. Like that's kind of more exciting and motivating than just, you know, saying that you've achieve some, you know, some larger milestone. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and it was kind of still relatively early in the sort of personal computing era. So computers weren't fancy and polished like they are today, where you just open up your gleaming MacBook Air from Apple and it's this smoothly integrated, you know, hardware and software that just um, works out of the box and the internals of it are completely hidden. Back then it was like you research to understand, hey, what CPU do I want for my computer? And, you know, what's the latest hard drive that'll be slightly faster than the previous generation and specking out those parts. And then, you know, you set up the software yourself and it was pretty, uh, there were a lot of rough edges, right? It was reading the DOS manual to figure out what obscure commands you had to enter. You were you were a lot closer to the metal than you are today. And, you know, that was frustrating at times, but it was also a, like you were forced to understand how computers actually work. There's definitely a sense in which that's true of starting products and companies as well, right? Like you have to really dig into things and try to understand how they work at every level and, and not take things for granted. Yes, I, I studied information science and, you know, it overlaps a lot with this kind of interdisciplinary field called human-computer interaction, which is honestly sounding, it's, it sounds a bit dated these days. Um, you know, that term dates back to like the 70s, probably. In industry, people don't really use that term anymore. They talk about like user experience and product design. Like that's more what people talk about today. But the scientific foundation of the field is, is the idea of studying how do people actually use technology. But if you grew up, you know, the VCR in the 80s or 90s, which was how you recorded TV shows and watched movies from Blockbuster, you know, there were millions of these VCRs in people's houses, and most of them were displaying a clock that was just blinking um, 12 o'clock 
all the time, which was not what it was supposed to do, right? The way it was supposed to work is that you program the VCR to have the correct time. And then you could use that to do things like record your favorite TV show at a given time based on the, the correctly programmed clock. But uh, in fact, most people who bought a VCR, they were able to play things on it. And in some cases, they were able to record shows manually. But a large majority of, of people using VCRs did not understand that the, the clock had to be programmed or how to program it. So this was a failure of usability or what's now called user experience. But you can also think about it in the context of things like, hey, how should the control panel of a nuclear power plant be designed to uh, minimize errors? Or how should information be presented to engineers and decision makers to avoid mistakes like the Challenger disaster, which some people argue was caused by uh, by information being presented incorrectly. So that's you know these are the kind of questions that the field of human computer interaction like set out to address and solve, and it ultimately led to the sort of you know industry application of user experience, um, which is is critical to you know many of the websites and apps and services that we use every day now. Well, I majored in economics, which had always been, I'd always been interested in the ideas of economics. I was very interested in markets, like how is it that, you know, we can just have this amazing coordination of people and resources and businesses all over the world without anyone planning it. And like, how do we have this amazing, you know, stock market that allocates capital to all these companies like that, all those just kind of classic economic questions were very interesting to me. And I would just, you know, read economics, you know, like history for, you know, for fun while I was in high school. It would be nice if there was, you know, some cool story about how we had this, uh, you know, we were featured in the New York Times, or we went to this conference and things blew up, like, you know, Twitter and South by Southwest. But it wasn't really like that. It was more just a long, slow grind. It was, you know, reaching out to the three people and five people and the next five people. Like, every customer at first was just a very manual process of finding them and bringing them on board. And then it was starting to build momentum from there, but it was you know, very slow incremental linear momentum for a while. So it was just kind of raw persistence of sticking with that in the hope that it would eventually compound. What I see as making it is is being involved in the interesting activities, right? As opposed to the ultimate end outcome. Like, you know, there's this concept from psychology of flow that that Csikszentmihalyi is famous for that you're in this balanced state between boredom and anxiety, right? So Boredom is something that's too easy for you, right? Like you're a chef uh, who's been assigned to cook a basic you know, macaroni and cheese recipe. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum is, is like anxiety or stress or overwhelm that you know, you're given something that's way too hard for you, right? And flow comes when you're in the balanced state, right? When things are, are challenging, you're being pushed to use your, the skills that you do have, but not um, overwhelming. So in a way, making it is really having consistent access to a flow state, which can, is genuinely hard to um, achieve and can be elusive at times. Rather than thinking you have to have this picture of what success is going to be for yourself, 
instead think about just building in regular kind of self-reflection as you go along so that, you know, every year or even every quarter as you're building your coaching practice or building your online course business or whatever it is that you're building, you know, stepping back on and reflecting on how is this actually going in comparison to what motivated you to start it, right? How is it going financially? You know, what aspects of the work are you enjoying and not enjoying? And what do you want it to be, you know, more like or include more of or less of going forward? There's a balance in anything you create, whether it's a course, software, a physical product, a new supplement, whatever. It has to be something you're interested in building and working on because it's going to take a lot of work. But fundamentally, it needs to be, you know, meet a real need for a particular person who's going to want to buy it and invest in it. I see a lot of people get excited about, okay, what can I create and build? And not as much about like, how do I connect with people to understand what they need and make sure that I'm building something that's aligned with what they need. So finding you know, a way of working that is really you know, customer-centric or, or balances your desires as a creator with your understanding of who you're serving is probably the most fundamental thing you can do to avoid going off track. So what was my biggest mistake on the way to making it? I mean, <laughs> I feel like we could be we could be listing mistakes all day. Um, you know, as, as most people who go through a starting a company, you know, have experienced just not understanding the the fundamental importance of like speed of iteration, especially in technology. Like it's important to have good ideas and to talk to customers, and those things came pretty naturally to me. But it's also really important to build those ideas quickly, get them out into the real world where people can use them, and then start really rapidly making them better based on real world usage. And, you know, I understood that conceptually, but it was much, much harder to move rapidly on executing ideas, building software products and getting real users for them, you know, than I anticipated I, I didn't understand how critical it was to keep pushing forward that speed of iteration. It compounds dramatically over time, right? Because if you have, you know, one iteration a month, that's 12 in a year, and they're sort of compounding on each other because you're learning more with each one, you know, versus one iteration a year, you know, you're talking about just this dramatic factor difference in how much you're learning, how much you're improving things for your customers. Learning is critical to contemporary society where practices and skills are changing all the time. If we want people to have opportunity, they need to be able to have opportunities to learn continuously. Contributing to making that better is you know, what I aim to do. Who are you excited about helping, right? Like, who are you motivated to really help and, and work really hard to build a product or a course or a service to help them? So, you know, just always be reflecting on your motivation and, and what's going to be satisfying for you to work on. And like building those cycles of reflection and, and progress that we talked about into your work. So it's going to be a long journey, right? No one has overnight success. Even the overnight successes we hear about in the media, you know, typically had years and years of work leading up to them. 
So knowing that it's going to be a long journey, like what can you build in that will make it meaningful for you and that will help keep you going um, over time? I'm Abe Crystal, and you've been listening to Making It. You can find me at Rizuku.com. That's R-U-Z-U-K-U.com. Making It is part of the Miracy FM network, which also includes Course Lab and Just Between Coaches. This episode of Making It was assembled by Jeff Govertson. Cynthia Lamb produced the episode. Danny Bermant is our associate producer, and Danny Innie is our executive producer. So you don't miss the great episodes that are coming up on Making It. Go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you liked the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.